Good morning. morning. Welcome to Patch Chapel. So glad to to see you this morning and and to worship uh, with you. A call to worship this morning is from Exodus chapter 34. Listen to God's word. The Lord said to Moses, cut two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be prepared by morning. Come up Mount Sinai in the morning and stand before me on the mountaintop. No one may go up with you. In fact, no one should be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and herds are not to graze in front of that mountain. Moses cut two stone tablets like the first ones. He got up early in the morning and taking the two stone tablets in his hand, he climbed Mount Sinai just as the Lord had commanded him. The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshiped. Then he said, my Lord, if I have indeed found favor with you, my Lord, please go with us. Even though this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our iniquity and, and sin and accept us as your own possession. And the Lord responded, look, I am making a covenant. In the presence of all your people, I will perform wonders that have never been done in the whole earth or in any nation. All the people you live among will see the Lord's work, for what I am doing with you is awe-inspiring. Let us pray. Our God, holy God, thank you that we can even come and, and meet here today and pray and have confidence that you hear our prayers, our concerns it's like you are two sides of, of the same coin. We, we know that you are holy and awesome and, and separated from us, and, and that, that demands our, our greatest amount of respect for you. But, but you're also close to us. You're, you are com- compassionate. You are kind. You are forgiving. And, and that whole God is who we, we worship this morning. We pray that you would guide our time today that it would really reflect who you are and how you've presented yourself to us. God, our our thoughts, our our prayers, the songs that we're going to sing, that it would please you this morning. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Well, as we continue to worship, would you grab a hymnal? We're going to sing hymn number 31, I Exalt Thee.
you have a seat. We really do uh, exalt uh, God this morning. Our pastor, Eric, is uh, TDY this week, and uh, he is going to take some leave over the next few weeks. Uh, so uh, continue to pray for him and his family. That'll be a refreshing time. But today we're going to hear from our garrison chaplain, uh, Chaplain Rob Allman. And uh, not only, however, is this an opportunity to hear Chaplain Allman's awesome, tremendous preaching, but it's his last Sunday with us. Uh, and so don't forget and sneak out. At the end of the service, uh, we're going to have a, just a, a time to, to thank you and, and Lori and, and for your ministry and leadership here, and we have a little something for you. So, um, And then you'll notice the, the plates up here. Uh, we have a communion Sunday as well. So uh, may be a few minutes long today. All right. Now, we continue our countdown to Easter, and uh, as you prepare for this special observance of Jesus' death and, and resurrection, I, I pray that God would bless you in your reading and your prayer, and may he really strengthen you in your resolve to live for him each day. Um, and throughout this service, prepare your hearts and your minds uh, for, for Communion Sunday, where we're reminded of his sacrifice. A couple of reminders. Uh, Ladies will meet right after the service for uh, a time of uh, prayer and uh, encouragement. So guys, grab the kiddos, go down the hall and grab a sandwich while the women folk meet. All right. But there's a lot of else going on as we as we get ready for Easter. Uh, we have several opportunities uh, to sing for the Lord. Uh, our choir is going to uh, to sing today and they're preparing for. Uh, a special uh, music on, on Easter. So every Sunday before the worship service, the adult choir uh, will be here to practice. Uh, if you want to be a part of that, see Rachel, raise your hand real high. Uh, and so you can uh, join uh, in that in the adult choir. Right after the service, our children will meet to practice uh, and they're going to do that each week or after the service uh, up through <clears throat> or up until Palm Sunday. And then they're going to uh, bring a, a special music on Palm Sunday. So, so kiddos up through sixth grade, uh, if, if you want to, to sing for God, uh, see Rachel again. And uh, it's going to be a great time. So all these many ways that uh, we can join in, volunteer in here at the chapel to make this uh, a really special time. <clears throat> well, let us uh, continue in our worship with hymn number 606, O Love That Will Not Go, hymn number 606. Good morning. Our Old Testament reading today will be Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31, which would be page 512 in your blue pew Bibles. Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Our New Testament reading will be from 2 
Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16, which is page 818 in your Blue Pew Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Here ends our reading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you. What great and, uh, and powerful words. We don't give up uh, because God gives us uh, strength. Hymn number 606, we sang just a minute ago. Brand new one for me, but, but I like that. There's a line, that first line said, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe. Fits right in with the scripture reading we just heard God, God gives us strength. God gives us wisdom. Um, let us t- take a minute to, to pray and thank him for that. Our God, we thank you uh, for these powerful words. We thank you that you strengthen us. We thank you that uh, when we're tired and, and worn, you pick us up. You give us reason for living. You give us hope to endure whatever it is that we go through. And Lord, should you ever ask us to, to suffer for the cause of Christ, prepare us now, prepare our hearts and our minds. And God, as we prepare to give to you this offering, we ask that you would give our leaders the wisdom to know where the needs are. Use it mightily for your kingdom the people across this area will come to know you in that personal way. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. If our ushers would uh, come forward, we'll receive our offering at this time. All right. Praise God. Please have a seat. For our prayer time, I really would like for us to focus on one broad topic. If your command is like ours, people are are tired. There's a lot more work uh, to be done than than people to do it. 
Um, and you know the events of the world and what we're responding to. I'd like for us to pray for all of our teams and our leadership uh, that we'll just continue to be successful in all that we do. Let's pray for our leaders with wisdom, uh, including our, our spiritual leaders, our pastors and chaplains as well. Would you join me as we pray? God, I thank you for those who have responded to the, the call to serve the nation. Uh, what a great and honorable work they do. Yeah, we trust you that what we, what we do as an armed force is the right thing. And as we live out that calling, we, I pray for all of our teams spread across this area to have the physical strength to endure, to have the moral character to stand for what is right, to have the wisdom to make the best decisions. Lord, you know the conflict that's happening in this world spread all over the globe. Would, would people reject you, the God who is love? They have no capacity to, to love others. And they just seek to destroy. I pray that you will use these, your, your people who, who have said, we'll, we'll respond. We pray for our leaders. There are faces and names coming to our mind right now. Many, many, many different leaders we work with uh, on a daily basis. God, I pray that you would lead them and, and guide them, give them determination and, 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 and a strength. And, and, and many of those leaders are, are, are believers. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we, we pray, God, they would have the determination to, to, to stand for you. Thank you, God, for these men and women. And Lord, as we continue to go out through, throughout this year, many, many missions ahead of us, may we not stop. May we not stop living for you, being, being your light in dark places. We thank you that the love of Christ compels us to, to live and act in a certain way. And we pray that you would honor that. And I pray all of this in your, in your holy name that you really would be honored and glorified by what we do. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much, Kelly, uh, for leading us in worship. Um, I must say, I... I uh, Think of the Apostle Paul as he wrote those letters uh, to the churches scattered across um, what we now call the present-day uh, area of Turkey and, and, and those um, uh, places to the east, uh, that he gave thanks to the Lord um, for the goodness and the grace of knowing that people were worshiping in those places, even in the midst of all the challenges they faced. Uh, their challenges were different than the challenges we faced the last several months. Uh, pandemics, a virus, now violence to the east. But yet, our God is faithful. 
And, and that's the joy I, I come to this pulpit with, is knowing that uh, each of you have been faithful uh, and that the increase is evident in your faithfulness, that God has blessed uh, this chapel congregation. So I, I thank you, Patch Protestant leaders, Ryan, uh, Eric, Jody, Kelly, um, uh, Rachel, <laughs> all those who've been a part of this uh, service. Uh, this means a lot uh, to me personally and, and to, uh, to Lori and I. I don't know if I'll have that opportunity to say that, so I took the personal privilege of the pulpit, <laughs> uh, not to beat you over with the Bible, uh, but to proclaim the goodness of God's faithfulness. Uh, with that in mind, would you join me as we continue to get our, um, our blood flowing, uh, standing with me as we hear God's holy word from the Gospel of John. John chapter 3. Forgive me, I don't know the precise uh, page number, but I, I trust you'll find uh, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, you'll find the Gospel of John, chapter 3 in your Bibles. Uh, and we'll begin with verse 1 through 17. Here are these holy words from the Gospel of John. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you were a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Please join me now in prayer. Our gracious God, our Father, we thank you for these words that are real to us. By the power of your Spirit, make them real now in our hearts. May we be nourished in our faith. May we be strengthened in our resolve to continue to be conformed into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. For it's to his glory and his name in which we pray. Amen. I suppose if I were to ask you to recite what I just read, 
Perhaps you might stumble through verses 1 through 15, but I suspect when it came to verse 16, John chapter 3, verse 16, uh, you would be able to say, For God so loved the world, say it with me, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Martin Luther referred to that verse as the gospel in miniature. That if one could take all of the scriptures that speak to the salvific uh, plan of God, one would be able to see it summarized in John 3.16. We see it today on just about every sporting event that we go to or see watching television. We see a, a poster raised high, and it has 3.16, sometimes without the John. Sometimes you'll see, I, I think I've shared this before if you haven't heard this uh, you've certainly seen it on some of the, um, what do we call that underneath the, uh, where they, they have the sweat band. It's kind of a black uh, makeup underneath the eyes. I forgot the name of that, but you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes uh, athletes will put a three here and a 16 here. Uh, I don't know if it's for them like superstition. I don't know what it means. Uh, maybe it means something personal to them that they're identifying themselves to the world as a Christian. Uh, but 316, John 316 something that our first readers and hearers had no <laughs> understanding of what that meant. There, weren't a, there wasn't a three in the scriptures. There wasn't a 16 in the verse. It was a long Greek sentence, letter after letter after letter after letter, not even a comma or a period. Um, but yet we've come to this place that we mark it, John 3:16, in such a way because it, it sums, sums up the gospel. And so I'd ask of you, if you would, go back into the scriptures or hear it again with me. John 3.16. And at the very least, if you hear nothing else, the rest as I preach this exposition of the rest of the chapter, please hear this very summation. And this is one way of many ways that others have summed it up. But I'd offer to you a, a way to remember the significance of John 3.16 in terms of its purpose. For God so loved the world. That is the very design. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That is the design of the creator. The creator of the universe designed this salvation, this way in which we would be able to come in right relationship to him after we have seen and heard and even in the scripture reading this morning from the Old Testament are reminded of the sins of the fathers going from one generation to the next. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That you can call the design of our creator. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but whoever believes in him, that's the duty of the individual. That whoever believes, that we are to believe, that we are simply to trust, should not perish, that is referred to as the danger. <laughs> if we don't do this, this is what would happen. That we'd, we'd have the danger of perish, of, of no longer being in this right relationship with God. But yes, brothers and sisters, the good news is even more captured in those last few verses. But have eternal life. That's the destiny, if you will. The place in which we might be forever and ever with the angels, all of the creation, worshiping in song, 
singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Recognizing all of the saints that have gone before us, that great cloud of witnesses, that is the destiny. The design is there by the creator of the universe. That he would give, that he would sacrifice, that he would offer of himself to you and to me. Billy Graham even referred to this, akin to Martin Luther's way of saying it. He said that this is the very Bible summarized. He would take it as the whole of redemption story from the beginning of God's creation all the way through, seeing over and over again God's faithfulness, even when his people, even when his prophets, even when his followers would fail and fall. God was continuously faithful to build his church, to build the body of Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave. Friends, I'd like for you to hear this afresh and anew, really from the eyes of the first person, at least the first account of someone who ever heard those words. This wasn't a, a person watching like we, we see it on the television screen. This was somebody that in many ways should have known better, <laughs> should have at least had a, a, a hunch that God was doing something through this individual named Jesus. And in all fairness, as we look back at the scripture passage, we'll see that, that this individual, Nicodemus, did have a hunch, but he just didn't quite get it all right. Uh, his theology was kind of folksy. It was somewhat, uh, as we often in the pew, have in mind what we think about God, but until we read the scripture, do we completely understand? And we see the delta, uh, the gap between our thinking and the reality of the truth. And that's where we come this morning. And that's why when we hear God's word, when you hear someone preach, you want to hear God's word and not just simply the words of the individual. And so I invite you back to God's word with me in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> Again, this person named Nicodemus, this man of the Pharisees, a ruler of the Jews, this individual would be akin today of someone of high stature, of high authority, somewhat maybe in, uh, as a senator perhaps in the U.S. Congress, uh, someone that anyone uh, would, would be able to turn to and look to and see their stature and understand who they were just by the walking distance of their presence. Some of you perhaps even in this room in your military career have found yourself living in the D.C. area, maybe across the Potomac, dressed to the nines, going into the Capitol building. If you've ever had that experience, you, you, you can just cut through with an instant eye and see someone walking in the distance that just has a certain stature about them. And you know that that must be a congressperson. And they've got usually a crowd surrounding them, a journalist and whomever, and they're walking with pace and purpose to go make that vote. Perhaps they've just flown in from their vacation just to make that vote. But nonetheless, this is a person of importance. And that's what Nicodemus was to those uh, Jews of the day. He was of that kind of authority, that kind of stature. And notice what he did. He came in a clandestine way. That is a way in which his actions would not be seen by his colleagues or friends. He went to Jesus at night. At night. I wrestle at night. I wrestle not with my wife. <laughs> I wrestle not with myself, but I wrestle in my mind. 
all the activities of the day, all of the burdens of leadership, all of the responsibilities that come our way as families even, not only the military uniform leaders, but even our families. I wrestle at night, do you? Those nighttime opportunities that God gives us to rest our mind and yet our mind continues to wander and wonder at God's awesomeness. And even sometimes there's those moments as I've shared from the pulpit and been very transparent with you that there are those moments that are referred to by the saints even as the dark nights of the soul. Of those moments in which we, like we sung that hymn just a moment ago, recognizing our very decay, even on the hills of Ash Wednesday in this Lenten season, we recognize that we are but dust and to dust we shall return. Out of that very clay, that very earth, God formed us and very well will return us. But praise be to Jesus, our soul, if we are quickened, if we are alive, if we are born anew, will be ever present in that destiny of eternal life. And so this Nicodemus, this leader, this one in authority, wanted to know, and he said, he knows at least this. Notice what he started with in verse 2. He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Guess what? Nicodemus gets an A plus for that one. <laughs> from there, he starts failing. But he gets it right. He knows that this is an individual come from God. John's gospel is the gospel of signs. It's the gospel of evidence that this one that was sent is from God. Nicodemus gets it. He understands that there is no one with other authority, not even the devil, not even Satan, the enemy himself, can give any evidence of his authority. He is a created creature, evidenced by the very fact uh, of Scripture, from the fallenness to his seeking after usurping God's power. He is one of those little gods, if you will, the prince of the earth who seeks to devour and to destroy. He doesn't give signs. He gives deception. He gives deceit. He gives ways in which the truth gets twisted in our minds. But thankfully, there is evidence of the one who has the true ultimate authority, God in the flesh, Jesus, our Redeemer. And Jesus answered this and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, it's, it's the word we use in worship all the time. We may not recognize we're saying this. We pronounce it different ways. A-M-E-N. Amen. 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 Right? Not almond. <laughs> Amen. Right? It's truly. It's, it's the Hebrew way of saying I put a stake in it, into the ground. I secure a tent with it. I'll, I'll fix my life and my position on it. Jesus is saying, this is truth. Truly, truly, I say to you. And this is how we begin to see this significance of 316 as it's kind of literally fleshed out, brought into an understanding of the process of how this unfolds, one's belief in Jesus. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's a funny phrase. I'll be honest with you. I, I grew up in a main line, if someone knows what that means, Presbyterian church. I grew up in the South. I heard all the time from my Baptist brothers and sisters and friends 
and, and my Pentecostal brothers and sisters and friends, are you born again? Are you saved? All these phrases, I, I didn't know any different. I had grown up in the church. I was baptized as a baby. I went through catechism, that is the teachings of the Christian faith as a teenager. I've made a public profession of faith whenever I was 13 at a little Presbyterian church in St. Mary's, Georgia, down by the Golden Isles, if you know that region of the country. And yet I kept hearing this phrase, being born again, being saved. I didn't know what it meant. But I'm grateful that I learned about it. I'm grateful that I found out that this was a scriptural phrase. This wasn't just a funny southern vernacular. Uh, but there was actual evidence of being this phrase in scripture. And that's where it comes from. This became very popular in our culture, and especially in America, when, as I've mentioned before, Billy Graham would talk about, have you been born again? from the pulpits when he would go on his revivals. And then it was in print, in an odd place, play and boy put together, an odd place. It was in print in an interview. That was the section that most people must have been reading. In an interview about Jimmy Carter's salvation. Jimmy Carter used the phrase in 1970, don't quote me, I can't remember what edition that was. But in 1970 something, Jimmy Carter, uh, Jimmy Carter that is, the president, said that he was a born-again Christian. That's where the phrase first became popular in American culture. Of all places where it became popular, how in the world would one have thought that would have happened? But yet it did. He used that phrase. And yet, in so many ways, it's kind of redundant, right? To be a born-again Christian? Because when you go back to the source of that in the scripture passage, we see that that's exactly what it means to be a Christian. That there isn't an extra thing. It's, it's just the evidence thereof that one has been born anew, that one is no longer in their own uh, flesh, no longer seeking after their own works and their desires to be in right relationship, but that God has done a work in them as if they were born all over again. And of course, Nicodemus, being a good Jewish reader of scripture, of the Hebrew scriptures, asked a very obvious and honest question. He takes that very literally, not literarily, like literature, but literally, how in the world am I to go back into my mother's womb? I mean, you can't blame. It's humorous when we think about it and we read it now, but to hear that for the very first time, to be the first hearer of those words, and to go, what, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> Born again? How is that possible? And yet the imagery, the, the, the suggestion that even Nicodemus has, has, I, I think, a, a, a significance in so many ways. And I wouldn't ask you to read too much into this, but his thought process has some sense of what we might suggest is the process of even salvation. I know without a doubt that there are testimonies in this room of some of us who have made professions of faith we were walking literally one direction against the ways of God and against all that had anything to do with the goodness of God. And in an instant, as the word repentance means, we turned a 180 and went the other direction. And then there are some of us who are in this room who have made those public professions of faith, perhaps, in church. It was a gradual process. It didn't happen overnight. It was probably more than nine months, <laughs> more than the gestation period of a, of a human but it was certainly a process akin to like a pregnancy. That at some point it was birthed and there was evidence by the voice, 
by the changing, by the very look, you could see that there was new life in your life. That's the kind of situation here that Nicodemus finds himself trying to process in his mind to figure out, what do you mean born again? How is this possible? Is it, is it, is it like that? And yet again, Jesus answers in verse 5 and says, Amen, Amen. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I tell you, I, I have read this passage many times, particularly that one I just read. I have referred to many that I respect as uh, theologians, as ministers of the gospel. And this is one of the more challenging texts, to be born of both spirit and water. It makes one go, hmm, what does that mean? Are we talking water as in water baptism? Are we talking water as in water purity? And yet we see here this scripture verses, only one is born of water and the spirit. No doubt it's the spirit that is the emphasis when we think about our spiritual life, when we think about being born into the kingdom, that it is a spiritual, that is not of flesh, but it is an act of God's move, that God first loved us, that God moves in our life in a way that we can't comprehend. Even Jesus acknowledges this when he gives that analogy. It's like the wind blowing. We don't know where it's coming from and we don't know where it's going. I would suggest to you, even with the instruments of today, you can go to your weather channel right now. You're not going to get an exact understanding of when, where the wind's coming and where it's going. I was talking to someone last night who uh, lived in Colorado Springs and their house at that time. Uh, they were uh, needing to be prepared. They were given about a 24-hour notice that the fires that were in Colorado Springs were coming their way. But they had a, a, a sense of assurance that, okay, this, for this, this fire, the fire usually goes up the mountain, usually doesn't go down the mountain. That was a new fact for me. I don't know if anyone has been to Colorado Springs or lived in Colorado or around California fires, but at least according to this in, individual story, they were saying that they had always known fires in that area to go up the mountain, not to come down. Maybe it's something to do with elevation. And so they were not as concerned but within just a short amount of time before there was a mandatory evacuation, they were out with their, all of their abilities to grab water hoses and to spray down their yard uh, because the wind had changed in an instant. And there they found themselves literally in a moment engulfed, nearly in flames. Thankfully, no one was hurt in that moment. No one lost their home in that moment. Some others did, but he was spared. But this idea that in an instant, the wind can change and the wind, we don't know where it comes from. But we know this in verse eight, it blows wherever it wishes, even as you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes or goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Brothers and sisters, it's really an individual's understanding. It's an individual's reconciliation, just like Nicodemus. I would pray that it wouldn't be at night, but in the light of day, in the light of your confession, in the light of who you know yourself to be in relationship with God, that you would ask of God to continue, if he's already begun that good work, continue to move his spirit amongst you, to be more and more conformed into the image of his son. But brothers and sisters, just as my friend was warned of the perishing fire that was to come around his house, 
I would also caution those of us in this room that may not know without any doubt that God in Jesus Christ is their Savior and their Lord. I would caution you to not be so confident that you have all the knowledge that you need and that you would trust upon the Lord even in that moment to spare you, to make sure that you are born anew. If I may suggest just a peek back at chapter 2 in the Gospel of John, if you enjoy reading Scripture along with the sermon, you can go back with me in verse 24. And Jesus said, after he had already given evidence and signs of his miracles at the wedding at Cana, after he had given his authority in cleansing the temple, after the Passover feast, um, he said in verse 24, but Jesus, or said of Jesus, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. In those quiet evenings and those nights, one can cry out to the Lord with confidence. One can cry out to the one who is the author of your own being, who is ultimately the author and finisher of your own faith. You can cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. Even if I've been born again, I need to continuously be born anew in my right relationship with you. Find a way, O oh Lord, to continue to work in me. And that is what I think as we hear this again for the, maybe for the hundredth time in our Christian walk, this John 3 passage. Maybe we'll see it afresh from the eyes of Nicodemus. And then in verse 9, as we see, he said, how can these things be? Remember, we go from a very confident Sanhedrin, a very confident Jewish authority, to a person who's now, I don't get it. What do you mean? How is this possible? You can see in an instant how in the face of Jesus Christ, the authority of the universe, how quickly the leader of that place and space can go in an instant to their, almost to their, in their, at least in their mind, to their humble knees. Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you did not understand these things? Now Jesus is compassionate in that comment, even though it comes across a bit, what, how would you say, condescending maybe? I mean, of all people, who else has condescended the most but Jesus himself come in the flesh to be with us? And he says again, I say to you, truly, truly, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. And then there is this passage that comes after that where there's an allusion back as, as he would know. This, this Jewish man named Nicodemus would know of all stories, the story of Moses in the story of the people in the exile, in the desert, when there is a provision of God in the form of manna, where they would take the bread and they would literally spit it out in disgust. And there would come across them, perhaps already evidenced in the fact that they were in the desert, these snakes that would be a reminder of the fact that there is a God who is in charge of all of creation, even those parts of creation that would bring suffering and ultimate death. And in God's sovereignty, those snakes would come as a reminder to them that you just had the provision, you just had the provision of manna, that bread that would give you what you needed to sustain you for one more day, and you cursed it. Far be it from me, a sovereign God, to show you this cursing of a snake. And yet it's in that moment 
that God gives another sign of provision, a very somewhat odd and cryptic sign, seemingly at least, but if you look back in Numbers 20, you can see this evidence of Moses being told to lift up a bronze snake, lift it up high in such a way that they would look at it and be reminded of God's holy, sovereign will. And he references, Jesus that is, references this account. And as Moses in verse 14, he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Friends, we sing this story. We've heard this before. We've said it. Maybe you've even sung it. Lift high the cross, that great hymn. Where in the refrain it says, lift high the cross, the love of Christ proclaim, till all the world adore his sacred name. Each newborn servant of the crucified bears on the brow the seal of him who died. O Lord, once I lifted on the glorious tree, as thou hast promised, draw the world to thee. Friends, brothers and sisters, the good news of Jesus Christ is that he came not to condemn the world. That's already done. We, we, we are evidence of that condemnation by the very acts of our forebearers and by the very evidence of our lives apart from God. God did not come into this world to condemn the world, but what? To save the world through his son, Jesus Christ. That anyone who would believe should not perish, but have eternal life. Brothers and sisters, I leave you with that good news, with that good word, with that salvific understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Be born anew because of what God has done in your life. Trust in the Lord's promises of his salvation to you. Let us pray. Oh God, our Father, you who have loved us with an unfailing love, you who have searched our hearts and known our wicked ways. O oh, Father, you who, even despite our ways, find a way, the way, that we might come into right relationship with you. O oh, God, continue to work in our hearts even as we enter now into this moment of worship where we come to your table. Provide us the provisions of your grace and your goodness in the elements that we're about to partake. May they be set apart from their common use and be used in such a way that spiritually we might be fed and nourished in our soul, that we might again be more aware of who we are in you and that you might be evidenced in all that we say and all that we do. For we ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. I'll spare you the actual reading of the text, but if you were to spend some devotional time reading John chapter 6, you'll find a beautiful passage after the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus evidences himself as being the bread of life that one might be nourished. And so as we come to this table, reminding all of us that this is the Lord's table. It's not the Presbyterian table. It's not the Baptist table. It's not the Pentecostal table. It's the Lord's table. And praise be to God. Because all who profess faith in Jesus Christ, come, please, come to this table. This is our opportunity to be nourished in this means of grace. But I would also caution, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, 
as your personal Savior and Lord. That this is not the time to come to the table, but it's time to come to him. Be this, let this be that moment. You may remain in your seats, all of you, as the ushers will come forward and we'll pass out the elements here in just a moment. But let those elements pass if you'd like. Uh, and also remembering that in the, in the institution of the Lord's Supper, that if you are not right with your brother or sister in your spirit, that this is also an opportunity to let this pass by, not as condemnation, but as God's grace and goodness as a reminder to you to be reconciled just as Jesus loved you so you can love others. And so I invite the ushers to come forward as we prepare for this meal. Brothers and sisters, it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, Jesus took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. For as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. Take and drink. Our gracious God, as we have taken these elements of bread and juice that we recognize by the power of your Holy Spirit, the significance of your body and your blood, we do, as the scriptures say, proclaim your death, even unto our death, but looking forward to you coming again and us being resurrected in that new life for eternal life because of what you have done for us. We give you thanks and all glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, please stand as we respond uh, to this sermon and our communion together. Worship and song, My Faith Has Found a Resting Place, hymn number 528. So uh, we are sad that this is, this is your final Sunday with us at Patch. Um, I think preaching is easy. It's getting out, getting out of your house and showing up to someone else's house and giving them gifts and taking them out to eat. That's, that's, the, real, that's the real deal. So when, when we first got here, when the Brank family first got here, it was October 31st, 2021. The world was kind of crazy here and we were scared and so disoriented it was the most disorienting thing ever to just to come to Germany, being plucked out of nowhere. And the almonds showed up at our hotel at the Marriott with these two big bundles, Ikea-sized bags of goodies. I tried to go to, to a Coughlin once, and nobody spoke English there. It was, I left there pretty scared. I, I, don't, where, I felt like I'm in a foreign country. <laughs> so the almonds showed up the next morning, and I, we're, just, we're just tired, and, the, and it was just... If you want a real good ministry here in Germany, minister to people who just landed, and it go, it, we will remember that for the rest of our lives. And then they took us out to our first uh, Christmas market, and, and it was, that was awesome, too. <laughs> and our first German uh, restaurant, so... Don't tell them all the secrets. Yes, okay, okay. <laughs> um, and then, and then uh, when we get here, you know, the list of people we trust to babysit our kids is about, like, this big. So when we met Emma Kate, too, uh, we don't, usually don't do this, but we said, that's a girl that we trust. Yeah. And so Jeanette and I went out for, uh, it was, I forgot where we went, but we trusted Emma Kate to trust with, her, with, our, with our four children. So 
just one thing after another. And, um, sir, it's, it's always good to meet another chaplain that, that I don't have to work for because we can have a relationship. And I really appreciate you as a mentor and, and as a brother in Christ and as a friend. And I'll never forget uh, you preaching here for Christmas. It's a message that will always stick with me that we are Christ's mess. Mm. Christmas is Christ's mess. And I, I was thinking about that this morning. Like, yep, I'm still Christ's mess, Amen. but I'm his mess. <laughs> uh, with that, so, um, yeah, uh, you want to give this to them, Kelly? Uh, we, this, this is from the chapel. But, yeah, uh, just a little something from, uh, from, from the chapel. I, I've known Chaplain Allman since 1996. When we went through the Chaplain Observation yep. Course. We were just lieutenants. Yeah. <laughs> no idea what we are doing. Um, and he's been so faithful to God in, in, in all of his assignments. Um, serving as our bishop here in Stuttgart. And the bishop's wife. <laughs> who you're like, well, you're like, what do I do? But she's such an encouragement, at least to the chaplain wives. And I know to many, many others in the community. And so we thank you for... Your ministry and, and hope this will remind you of, uh, of your time here. You. It's a mini patch chapel. Uh, I was going to say yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's going to be like, what was in that bag? <laughs> <laughs> oh, very nice. Yes. Yes, that will go on my shelf. That will go on the shelf. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Man. Okay, yeah. Thank you. Man. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. okay. Oh, oh, yes. So, uh, where in the world are we going? Uh, we wish we had our, our, uh, uh, the rest of our family here. Our daughter is in uh, New York City, New York University, uh, Emma Kate, and so uh, she'll be coming to join us, I guess, next time in Germany or up, up the road. We're going up to Kaiserslautern. Is that how you say it? Uh, some people call it K-Town, but I'm trying to say it uh, the German way, Kaiserslautern. And I'll be the uh, 21st Theater Sustainment Command chaplain. So uh, pray for our sustainers. Uh, many of you know better than I do what, what they're doing every day. And I'm grateful uh, for this continued service and grateful to my commander who, uh, who has been my uh, cheerleader and champion uh, since day one. I, I appreciate, appreciate uh, um, very much uh, Matt Ziegler and Megan and the whole family. Uh, thank you all. We're, uh, you're going to be missed, but I know where you're going to. And uh, I'll, come, I'll come hunt you down and find you. <laughs> So thank you, sir. Appreciate you. And to everyone, God bless you. Let's receive now this benediction. Please stand with you. And keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.